Good morning and welcome to Emma Audio episode... Oh god, now I can't remember. Well, let's just pretend it's number 35. Um, this episode is a request by Ed Malum, who wanted me to parse out a little bit more how I go about building a customer base and uh, and and sort of how the strategy differs depending on what type of customer it is, whether it's wholesale or retail. So this is the first episode where I've actually written some stuff down because I wanted it to be organized because there's some important points to cover. So the first thing when assessing a customer base is to think about your location geographically, where you live, and what your opportunities might be. Um, So for instance, if you live in a city, it's much more likely that you will be doing local sales within that city than if you live way out in the middle of nowhere. Now, uh, you also need to assess... Well, let me go back for a second. And if you're way out in the middle of nowhere, it's much more likely that you'll be doing online sales, provided you actually have enough internet service to do online sales, right? So there's you're always sort of trying to figure out what the thing that makes the most sense is. Now, the other thing you need to assess is what your own propensities are. Because, for instance, if you live in a city and you're thinking, okay, so I'm going to like try and get into the big farmer's market and... But you actually are uh, really don't like being extroverted, then maybe that's not the 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 strategy for you. So you you need to be both aware of what your personality uh, is good at, and also sort of what your geographic situation suggests as a good choice. So then, uh, within those choices, I break down customer bases into three. One is retail to local markets. The second is online retail and the third is wholesale. Let's take them one by one. With local markets, the key to succeeding at local markets, as far as I can tell, is consistency. Because people coming to local markets to buy are not necessarily going to buy from you right away. They're just scrounging they're 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 window shopping and so you're not going to necessarily have a great deal of sales right away what happens is once they've seen you show up again and again and again and again and again all those people who thought well that's cool maybe someday I'll get one they start getting them <coughs> and if at that point you deliver really good quality and they're impressed with your quality and your price then they might buy more for themselves, for their friends, for presents. Usually, local markets have a cap because unless you're in a real city where there's just new people coming by all the time, there's a limit to how many people are going to be interested in buying from you, even when you get repeat customers. And repeat customers something I can't remember. I don't think I've talked about yet. I have in the blog, but not in the in the podcast. But even with repeat customers, there's a limit to how much sales you can get with a local market. 
Now there are some local markets that are the exceptions to this, markets that are very high end or summer communities or in large cities. Those can be uh, much better in terms of generating continuous sales. I also find local markets to be discouraging in the sense that most people walk right past you and have no interest in buying from you. Um, and those that do stop, probably only, you know, 10 to 30% of those that do stop will actually generate a sale. So it's, uh, it's a lot of time invested for the amount of sales that you get, unless you're in one of these situations where the market really is hopping. Online retail, <clears throat> I find more encouraging in the sense that it requires less of your time and you can uh, spend your, your outward-facing time building something that is valuable to people, beside, right? So if you're at a market and you're spending those hours at a market, you're there sort of standing around being available, waiting for somebody to talk to you. When you spend those same hours online, you can be building your brand through creating thoughtful content that provides value to other people. And then people who find that value, that content valuable will reach out to you and some of them will buy. In general, if you look at your followers, you can assume that only 10% of your followers are going to actively engage with what you put out day in and day out. And of that 10%, only 10%. So... 1% of your total followers are actually going to buy stuff. So <clears throat> that is why uh, that's why it takes so many followers to start generating sales. Now, these numbers can skew one way or the other based on whether you have a following that is actually a community. This is something I've talked about in past episodes, right? If you have following that's actually a community and you actually interact with them and have conversations with them, then the conversion rate is much higher because you actually care about each other. If you have a following where it's just people who clicked on you because they like the pretty pictures and they don't really care and you don't really engage, then that conversion rate is going to be much, much lower. So... When you are selling online, you have the choice of selling in two ways. One would be batches, and the other is commissions. A lot of people choose to sell in batches, where you make what you want to make, and then you put it up on your online store, or you post it on Instagram, and you say, these are available. And depending on your style of making things, and how much you see it as an art versus a craft and how confident you are in your ability to duplicate a design, you might find that using a batch method is a good way to go. The problem with the batch method is that <clears throat> you are asking somebody to make the decision to buy on your time frame, right? And in order to generate that kind of buzz and that kind of interest, you need to... Um, in order to sell out a whole bunch of things, you need to have a lot of followers because again, that conversion rate is 1%. So, uh, you know, if you, even if you build up to it and say, you know, next week I'm gonna be releasing a batch of stuff, you know, you're sort of creating tension, creating tension. Well, problem is, is that the only people who are seeing that tension being created are the 1% anyways, because those are the only ones that the algorithm on Instagram is feeding 
your work regularly too. So you're preaching to the choir. Um, when I was starting out, before I felt confident in creating shapes, I found that the best way to sell my work online was to sell in batches of one. And so I'd make something, I'd put it up for sale. I'd make something the next day, I'd put it up for sale. And that way I don't need a large number of people to be interested. I only need one person to be interested. And I also create tension within that moment because of the scarcity of the one thing. So I have one thing that's for sale. You need to act fast in order to grab it. And so it created a positive feedback loop wherein people who wanted to buy something from me knew that every day something was going to be up for sale. And if they saw it and wanted it, they had to act then. And I also kept the friction of how they had to act extremely low. They didn't have to sign into my website, see what was for sale, and then click a bunch of buttons in order to pay digitally. They just had to send me a message saying, I want it, and that claimed their spot, and we figured out the payment details later. So that was what worked for me. Now, once I was getting enough, uh, it's just sort of naturally happened that I started off with these batches of one and then it shifted to commissions because people would see the thing that had sold and they would ask if I could make another one. Now, prior to that happening, I was really nervous about taking commissions because I wasn't confident in my ability to duplicate something or even to produce something that was good on demand. At a certain point, your skill will reach a level where this feeling that you have will shift and you'll start to feel like, oh yeah, I could totally do that if somebody wanted me to. And the nice thing about selling things one by one is I could then say to somebody who reached out and was like, ah, I didn't make it in time. I'd be like, you didn't, but I'd be happy to make you one if you'd like. And about half of those people would say, yes, please. So that's how I started building my commissions was by reaching out to every single... So I actually never... You know how people would put... Um, when something had sold, they would edit the post to say sold in capital letters right at the beginning. I never did that because if you put that sold right at the beginning, the, the thing it does is it switches off the part of your brain that, that starts letting you sort of covet the, the thing that you're seeing and thinking about and dreaming about it being yours. I wanted people to think about it and dream about it being theirs because I wanted it to get them to say, oh, I really want that. Oh, but I can tell from the comments that I'm not the first one. And then I could say, well, I'd be happy to make you one. And that switch in their brain that writing sold at the top would have turned off wasn't turned off. So eventually I have now shifted almost entirely to a commissions-based sales strategy for much of the year, with the exception of the Christmas tree season when I'm selling in person at the Grove. The thing I love about the commissions is that I can schedule them out, which lends a great deal of predictability to my day and also allows me to instill the discipline of this is what you need to accomplish today. You have to carve these spoons today because that way you stay on schedule. And that allows me to push myself more than if I was just like, what do I feel like carving today? I'll carve it and then I'll put it up for sale. I don't know about you, but I'm not that disciplined. And so having commissions allows me to build a calendar of work 
And at this point, I'm scheduling several months out, and I have been for the last year or so. Um, so, early on in my carving process, wow, and this is a really long episode, but I think it's bringing a lot of value to people, so I'm going to keep going. Early on in my carving process, I reached out. I thought I was going to do a lot of wholesale. And I reached out to all these groovy stores, and I thought, um, they're going to see the value of what I produce, and they're going to want it. And even when they do the 100% markup, it's still going to be a good price point for people in cities. Well, boy, did I get that wrong. First of all, my price was way too high for that to be true. And second of all, my quality was not nearly good enough. I didn't have a good perspective on the, the quality of what I was producing. I hadn't even bought a spoon from somebody else at that point. I'd seen pictures, but pictures are not the same as seeing an actual spoon. <clears throat> Wholesale customers are obsessed with your price point and your quality because once they buy it, they're stuck with it. <clears throat> and they're buying a lot, lot more. So I have found that my wholesale customers, it usually works out best when we start off small. <clears throat> excuse me. They see that they sell and then they buy a bunch. It has also helped my wholesale to be able to say that I have a waiting list and that I'm scheduling a couple months out, right? That gen that That is sort of the proof of concept that people want what I'm producing. And it's also helps to have built up a reputation and a presentation online that they can see. So when I was first reaching out, my Instagram account was tiny and uh, the quality of my photography was not that good. The quality of my content, the written stuff was not that good. My website was nothing much to look at. I just didn't have, you looked at it and you saw somebody who was just starting out. Now, if you're just starting out, that's what you've got, right? But recognize that if you are in that position, the wholesale customer is going to look at what you're doing and think, oh, they're just starting out. Do I want to take a chance with this person who hasn't shown that they have the chops for it or not? So that's always the trick is that, you know, you're, you're not going to find people who want to work with you as easily. <clears throat> And this number will increase as your reputation and your presentation online increases. But it will never be a, you know, a fantastic conversion rate. I recently decided, maybe six months ago, that I wanted to push to have more wholesale partners. Right now, I have maybe, well, at the time, I had like three. And I thought, you know what? I just need a little more. I want more diversity in my customer base, just in case the world shifts and I want to be more diversified. So started reaching out to wholesale customers, this time feeling like I was really in a strong position. And, you know, I, I, I heard back from a greater percentage, but it's still a fairly small percentage that actually follows through. And the, the truth is, is that a lot of stores already have partners where they get their wooden spoons or stores see your price point and it just doesn't quite match what their customer base in their particular city <clears throat> feels right to them or they're not into your aesthetic or a number of other reasons or you didn't catch them at the right moment and when it does work it's usually that you catch them at a particular moment in time that has to do with them it doesn't have to do with you and so the trick is 
with wholesale customers is to reach out to a lot. So I try and discipline myself to reach out to one a week, two a week. You can increase that number as much as you want. The trick is, is that it's not about, it's not when they say yes or when they say no, it's not a reflection of you. It's a reflection of them and where they're at and what they need. Now, once you take a wholesale order, you need to be able to produce the goods at a quality that you feel good about and in the time frame that you told them that you would, right? It's a, it's a different relationship than just producing something and putting it up for sale. So you need to know that you have the chops to actually do it. And you need to know that you have the access to the wood to carve the spoons that you said you would carve and that things look the way they look. Um, and... <clears throat> that's not to say everything needs to be perfect. You can certainly build an aesthetic of, of incredible wabi-sabi and that's your thing, right? Is, is all these imperfections. But you need to deliver as advertised to a wholesaler. So those are my three strategies, guys. This is a long episode. But it's local sales, which is tough in many ways. Online sales, which I think are a great place to start building your foundation of reputation and presentation and wholesale sales, uh, which are a great way to diversify, but I would not exclusively focus on wholesale sales. Thanks for listening. It'll be short tomorrow.